Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does on these occasions, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. And today we are wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey stuff. <laughs> nice. And we also have a special guest. Yes, we do. Our special guest is Tracy Wilson, who's also here at How Stuff Works. She's a blogger for Fan Stuff, among many other uh, duties that she performs here. And Tracy, the reason we we brought you in here uh, was because we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, the tech in Doctor Who, and uh, what Doctor Who's all about. And since you're the Fan Stuff aficionado, as well as a Doctor Who fan, it only made sense to bring you in here. That's a very sensible decision on your part. Right. We also <laughs> felt very badly about not bringing you in here when we did how lightsabers work. And so we're correcting that from all future fictional technology. We'll probably be bringing either uh, either Tracy or Chanel, who's our other fan stuff blogger. Would it make you feel less guilty if you knew that I haven't actually listened to that podcast yet? Even after I told you to? Even after you told now me to. I, I just, know. I, I have switched from guilt to anger. I am a terrible person. <laughs> That's your, okay. Your listeners can all know now that, that your boss is a terrible person. So let's talk about Doctor Who, shall we? Indeed. So this is a, uh, a series that began in uh, Across the Pond over in uh, jolly old England. 
Yes, and it's it's fairly recent, yeah. if you consider the you know mid twentieth century recent. Right, nineteen sixty three was when it debuted, and uh, the original series was uh, it really the the sensibility of the series has, has remained more or less the same. I mean the the production values have increased over time and um, <laughs> just slightly, a little slightly. bit, yeah. We've gone from cardboard boxes and rubber suits to uh, to some actual special effects, but we'll get into that. So the the story follows the adventures of a uh, an alien known only as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Tracy, what can you tell us about the Doctor? Uh, well, the first thing is that his name is indeed the Doctor. That's what he's known as. Yep. Some people like to call him Doctor Who, and that's that's not really his name. No, that's the title of the show. That's, that's the, the title, of the, title of, the of the show. Yes, it's more of a running joke. Right. People will say, "I'm the Doctor, Doctor Who." Hey. Yeah. Um, then then silent rimshot plays in your head. Yes. yes. Every time they they do that, which is kind of often. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, so the Doctor is not a human. He looks like a human, but he's definitely an alien. He's from the planet Gallifrey. And in his younger and more impetuous days, he stole a time machine called the TARDIS. Yes, which stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. That is true. Now, it turns out that the the, the Gallifrey, the race on Gallifrey, they, there was a particular group of them called the Time Lords. Yes. Who are pretty much in charge of looking at the universe throughout time and making certain no one's being too naughty with it. Right. More or less. There, there are some events in time that are they're fixed and you can't change them. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there are other events in the course of time that you can change and they want to make sure that people aren't making mischief. Right. And so uh, in the course of, of their planetary history, uh, they, they learned fairly early on once they developed the technology to travel through both time and space that if they meddled with history – Bad things would happen. Like even when they had good intentions and they would try to help people out, um, sometimes it would all turn out for the the worst. And it kind of made the Time Lords develop a policy that's very similar to another policy in a in a, in a, a different science fiction franchise, Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, where you have the Prime Directive, right? Exactly. So the idea that you don't interfere in the the affairs of these various cultures, except in uh, the case of the Time Lords, it's both through time and space. Um, and that to do so is really, really bad. And yet the Doctor doesn't quite see eye to eye on that. I think no. the Doctor feels that there's a little more leeway. Yes, he's big on, on saving people. Yeah, it turns out that the, the adventures of the Doctor are mostly about him traveling throughout the universe and righting wrongs or protecting people from various horrible invasions. Uh, I noticed in two different episodes, I mean, I, I clearly I did my research. I watched as many as five <laughs> shows. Um, I, I Out of the three people here, I'm talking the most, and I'm not the Doctor Who fan, but I'll be asking questions. Um, the uh, In my case, I saw an invasion of mannequins and an invasion of, uh, of submachine gun wielding uh, Santa Clauses. Yes. So clearly the universe is messed up. Yes. Well, you know, it hasn't always been that way. When I was growing up, and I used to watch Doctor Who growing up when it would appear on my local PBS station um, back when I lived in North Carolina. And, um, yeah, I remember a, a particular series with uh, Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, who uh, had to deal with huh, Doctor Who. Right. That was an accident. Um, but uh, there was a series called The Stones of Blood when he was being chased by rocks. Right. And, uh, you know, they would suddenly be somewhere else where they weren't before, which was uh, when I was 
seven years old. Really creepy. So it sounds a little bit like the weeping angels that came along later, which are statues, which suddenly are someplace they weren't before. Yes. See, to me, it sounds like Ninja Cat. You you lean around the corner, and then the cat is magically closer to you. Yes, it's a lot like Ninja Cat. Oh, that's a lot like. Now you're speaking on terms that I can understand. Except the uh, the rocks, neither the rocks nor the angels end up, you know, right there in a bag. (laughs) Right. Okay. Oh, speaking of bags, does anybody uh, want a Jelly Baby? What the? All right. No. Someone tell me about the Jelly Babies thing. The, the doctor, uh, actually, Tom Baker, again, had a uh, particular fondness for a British candy known as Jelly Babies. They're uh, very much like what we think of here in the States as gummy bears, although apparently they, they have a crustier outside and a softer, chewier interior. I actually did, in fact, go to the British candy section of my local grocery store this morning looking for Jelly Babies so that we could be authentic. However, I could not find any. That's why we're drinking gin instead. <laughs> So this podcast is going to get better as we go along. But yeah, there there, there are a lot of, of uh, gags like that, or, or little recurring themes that that pop up from time to time. Things that get mentioned, like uh, you know the doctor's fondness for jelly babies and uh, other things, costuming like Tom Baker's seventeen uh, mile long scarf. It's the greatest scarf. No, it is a wonderful scarf. You know, I know someone whose life was saved by her Doctor Who scarf. Really? Yes, she was wearing a Doctor Who scarf and slipped on. I think an icy patch mm-hmm. and she was sliding toward an embankment and she was able to use her Doctor Who scarf like a lasso to save herself. Wow. So it really though really when you think of a scarf what is a scarf but a skinny towel? It really yes. So it's a Douglas Adams thing. If you don't know where your <laughs> towel is at least know where your Doctor Who scarf is. Alright I have a question for you guys. Okay. So before I'm going to try and direct this a little bit because otherwise we're just going to go all over the place. Uh, first of all please explain the Justification that the show uses for the fact that uh, 11 different actors have played the role of the Doctor so far. Okay. Well, the justification that the show uses yeah, within the universe within of the Doctor universe Who. we are we are in the universe of Doctor Who. Um, time Lords have the ability to regenerate when they are near death. Uh, this enables them to take on the uh, different appearance um, and in some cases different behaviors. Um, and uh, they are, are able to do this only a limited number of times. So, um, you know, if somebody gets, a Time Lord gets severely hurt, for example, you know, he or she might be able to regenerate into a different body that would be intact, but would be wearing necessarily different clothes or, you know, different skin, different, different skin, different teeth. That's been pointed out. It's possible that you can switch genders during. Uh, you know, a regeneration. I remember specifically um, ears mm-hmm. with Tennant being being re- being slightly relieved that he did not have Eccleston's ears. Yes, but he was sad that he was not a ginger. Yes, yes. Um, so the the Doctor has so far had uh, eleven incarnations, so that means ten regenerations. Yes, because mm-hmm. the first Doctor is the original Doctor. Um, so uh, I remember reading that uh, at least in one source they they claim that the Time Lords have twelve regenerations. So really, we only have two left, right? Until they find a way to cheat. My theory is retconning will happen. Yeah, uh, please explain what retconning is. So retconning, uh, the the context that I've heard it used most in is comic books. You have things that have been established as 
what happened, events that happened in the context of the comic book. And then something happens in the comic book that sort of rewrites history. And this new history is the right one now. Right. So retcon stands for retroactive continuity. You are retroactively changing the continuity of your universe so that it fits what you're writing now. And Doctor Who is not the only uh, franchise that has has seen this. We've seen it all the time in things ranging from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. Star Trek has done it. Star Wars has done it. Um, Pretty much any franchise that's lasted a good long while, you're going to find instances of retconning. Stephen King famously did it in the Dark Tower series. Um, It's it's something that you encounter uh, when when your your universe has become so complex that it's almost impossible to write something without contradicting something that came before it. And there's even a specific nod to retconning in the Doctor Who universe, uh, which is in Torchwood. There's a drug called retconning that makes you forget what just happened to you. Ah, and Torchwood is a spinoff of Doctor Who, and it's also an, uh, uh, a complete and utter retcon. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Yes, we, we could get into the whole Torchwood versus Unit thing, but I was I was we probably say, shouldn't. No, no, that's the whole other thing. I was going to say it was an <clears throat> anagram, but hey, you know, retcon also. Uh, so if you you know mess with Doctor Who, you get Torchwood. Um, actually, technically, if you do mess with Doctor Who, you get Torchwood. Uh, let's talk about the TARDIS, the okay. the time machine that mm-hmm. uh, the Doctor uses. Now, in the series, the time machine takes a very specific appearance, uh, which is a, a police call box, which in 1963, when the show originally aired, uh, there still were these police call boxes mm-hmm. in London. Um, they They were... They started popping up in London, not just popping up. People built them. They didn't just appear. <laughs> they didn't appear. They, well, one of them space. does. Let's, let's be, one does, but that's the doctors. No, no. Let's, they were built specifically for the purpose for the police to be able to contact headquarters and, and get uh, other police out there, detectives, could, that kind yeah, of thing. They could detain suspects yeah. in there temporarily. Yes, they could do that. Uh, so... Uh, they were built in the 30s, and, and at one point there was over 550 of them in the Metropolitan Police area. Um, but by the time uh, – so in 63, when the, the show aired and the TARDIS was – it was established that the TARDIS looked like a police call box, mm-hmm. that wasn't out of the ordinary. No. Um, but why – would the TARDIS look like a police call box in the first place? So a functioning TARDIS, one that's actually working, has this thing called a chameleon circuit that allows it to look like anything. And that allows the Time Lords to travel around and their craft can blend in to their surroundings. Gotcha. So, you know, when uh, the Doctor made a visit to London in the 60s, he took the form of a police call box with the TARDIS to have it blend in with what mm-hmm. was around. Uh, but unfortunately, the chameleon circuit is broken, and so the TARDIS is stuck in that shape forever. Right. And um, and now it's become sort of a, almost a joke because, of course, now, currently, uh, you don't find police call boxes in, in London. Those, no. are, those have gone away. Once radio really became a standard uh, tool for, for the police, the, the need for call boxes decreased rapidly. And so um, it's actually become kind of a running gag as well in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you it, now granted, nothing's stopping the Doctor from actually going back and visiting the 60s. He could do that because the TARDIS is capable of traveling to any point within time and space. Right. Right. Um, so let me ask you another question here. If you watch the show, you notice almost immediately, that the TARDIS is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. The outside is a little police call box, but when you go inside, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Can anyone tell me why that is? 
Well, because I can if you guys can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I cheated. I actually did research. See, I was going to tell you why, even though it, it's completely incongruous for a police call box to be pretty much anywhere except the 60s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, people still don't notice it because there's also kind of a perceptual filter. And it reminds me of the the somebody else's problem field right. in, in the world of Douglas Adams. Yes. So I, I can answer that question. <laughs> Well, they are, uh, I can tell you that they are dimensionally transcendental. Yes. So they are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. And uh, basically, the reason for this is uh, because they are using... Um, Temporal physics. Yes, indeed. Well, I mean, all, ta- bleh, excuse me. all TARDISes are made up of block transfer mathematics. Yeah, that, at, at their that, core, that sh- that solves everything. Oh, is that yes. like bistro math? Can we just stick with Douglas Adams? <laughs> I, I, I can simplify this. I'll simplify this. Uh, a TARDIS is uh, the exterior of the TARDIS exists within whatever the the world is that the Doctor is visiting. That's right. Uh, that, the exterior is there; it's a physical presence. But once you walk through the door, you're actually walking through a portal into a different dimension. So you're not. When you're inside the TARDIS, you're not inside the physical construct that looks like the TARDIS. You have just passed into an alternate dimension, so you have limitless space. Now, according to the actual background that I read, which was very fascinating, uh, uh, Chris sent me some some links to some really cool books about the, the Doctor and the, the technology in it. Uh, the TARDIS is a Type 40 TARDIS. It's a Mark I TARDIS, uh, the, the one that the Doctor uses. Mm-hmm. And it's um, a fairly primitive one compared to later TARDISes, like the one that the Master uses. We'll mm-hmm. get into him in a little bit. So the, this, uh, this device has uh, was originally used as a scientific research facility. Mm-hmm. So it was the kind, of, uh, the kind of TARDIS that the Time Lords would use if they wanted to go and visit a particular time and place and just learn about it. Because that, that's another thing that the Time Lords are really famous for their scholars, mm-hmm. right? They're fascinated with learning about other cultures, other other races, and other times. So um, uh, the Doctors is really designed for that. But later TARDIS models were meant for things like even uh, use in war. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, well, those those were the much later's. I mean, uh, yes. the Doctor has a uh, Type Forty, as you mentioned before. But um, when we start getting into uh, Type Ninety Four and on up through Type One Hundred Five. Those are the more uh, military use TARDISes, and they have some very, very uh, powerful weapons on them. And we should point out that a lot of the the information that we have about the technology in Doctor Who really comes up as a justification for what we saw in the show. So in other words, people, when they were building the show, were like thinking, we need to make something that looks like a time machine. Let's put some blinking lights here. It doesn't matter what the blinking lights are supposed to be. We just need, you know, let's have something that moves up and down in the center. Let's, uh, let's have some other stuff over here. And then it became the the goal of various fans and writers to kind of construct the reason for those things to be there beyond just the fact that they look cool. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with, with Star Wars as well. You have all these different switches on the Millennium Falcon, and then uh, the very first time Harrison Ford got into the Millennium Falcon set, uh, they were about to start shooting the, a sequence of him in the Falcon. He turned to Lucas and said, all right, um, how do I fly this thing? 
Because nothing is labeled. They're all just switches. Right. <laughs> Lucas said, uh, you just do. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that's sort of what the doctor does. He doesn't really know how to fly his TARDIS. He's not good at it. He hasn't read the instruction manual, and I think he failed his flying class. Nice. Um, and it's also, the, the TARDIS was designed to be piloted by multiple people, which is why he does this, like, frantic running around and flailing and flipping of switches, because ideally there would be multiple people there to man all that stuff. Right. Yeah, the, uh, the probably the most identifiable part of the console is the time rotor, which is the uh, part that goes up and down in the middle of the console. console. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, the inside of the TARDIS has changed with some of the Doctor's regenerations as mm-hmm. well. Um, and part of that is because the TARDIS is a living thing. And they are grown, not built, uh, for the most part anyway. And uh, they do develop a psychic bond with the uh, Time Lord or Time Lords that are part of the crew. Um, so therefore, they are aware of what's going on and can communicate uh, with the Time Lords that are away from it at the time. They can make so to decisions speak. to an extent, mm-hmm. and they can actually choose people when uh, when the Time Lords are in training, and uh, the TARDIS is you know they have the opportunity to take a TARDIS for themselves. The TARDIS actually chooses them uh, to spark many Soviet Russia jokes. On Gallifrey, Tardis chooses you. Nice, Uh, (laughs) but uh, but it apparently is true that they are they do have some biological component, uh, although it does not appear so to those of us who are not time lords because they are seem to be made of metal and plastic and rooty, growy things. Right. So uh, I read that the Tardis usually one of the 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 components that you normally find in the Tardis is a, a. a toolkit, and mm-hmm. one of the tools in particular has become so useful to the doctor that he is usually uh, carrying it on his person. Yes, and um, actually, Mister Paulette happens to have a uh, a reproduction of said tool in his hands. Yes, the sonic screwdriver. Now, the sonic screwdriver supposedly uh, works by sending ultrasonic signals into various components to fix them. Mm-hmm. Or break them. Or break them. Or or, or really, really break them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes break people. They can mm-hmm. knock folks out. Uh, the, the, the joke that Chris and I came up with is that the sonic screwdriver can do whatever it is the plot requires the sonic screwdriver to do. Yes. Unless, so. of course, there is a deadlock seal involved. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> you, you stole my line there. Sorry. I have no idea what you... I haven't seen this episode. Those episodes. Yes. Those episodes. There are many episodes. There it are is, many. So that that's what? that's the that's the the writer's use of. Well, why wouldn't the doctor just use a sonic screwdriver to get out of this? Like, oh, well, because there's a a, a deadlock. A de- a I, I deadlock. think that the definition of that might be a type of lock that a sonic screwdriver cannot open. Nice. Although, if you have a sonic pen like the one Miss Foster used, yes, you can open a deadlock seal. Or if you're Sarah Jane Smith, you have a sonic lipstick. Yes. Okay, so um, <laughs> moving on, we reached a point where Jonathan cannot comment on these things because his, his experience is too limited. I think his pupils just dilated. So, so. We, we mentioned the Master briefly. Now, the Master is another Time Lord mm-hmm. and is another renegade Time Lord, uh, in the sen- in, like the Doctor in that sense. But unlike the Doctor, the Master is not really so concerned with um, helping people as he is in gathering as much power as possible. Yeah, he's very much about advancing his own agenda. So he's 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 a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You you could call him the Moriarty to the Doctor's Holmes. It's a very apt comparison. Mm-hmm. So uh it wasn't mine. Okay. It was in the book that Chris <laughs> lent to me. I can't really 
can't really lay claim to that. Um, but the uh, he also has uh, in the he's had a couple of different weapons that he's used. Now in, in the uh, old series, what was it called? It was a tissue compression. Uh, yes, hold on. Device. Uh, now you now yeah, you have this to go the to tissue name. compression eliminator. Eliminator. That's what or it was. the TCE. Oh yes, the TCE. And what it, and what you did with that was that uh, if you zap somebody, it would compress all their atoms. It squishes you. Yeah, you to die. Death. You die into. You turn into a little bitty doll corpse. It, it kills you until you're dead. It kills you until you're dead. <laughs> but now he's carrying around, or at least in now, uh, the, in, the more in, recent in episodes. the more recent episodes, he was carrying around a laser screwdriver. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as far as I could tell, the only purpose for the laser screwdriver was to shoot people dead. <laughs> it's yes. not much of a screwdriver as it is a yeah. laser gun that's shaped like a rod. Yes. Can it that actually? Is... Can can you, you know, screw things? With I it? don't think so. That's that's what I'm saying. It's really just not a laser the, gun. Not in the physical sense. No. I think it's only called a laser screwdriver because the master is kind of the bad guy version of the doctor, and so he has to have the bad guy version of the doctor's tool. Right. So it's kind of like the red lightsaber versus the blue lightsaber. Judging from his quote at the time, it was essentially his version of spinal taps. This one goes to 11. Yes. Right. Well, we're already up to uh, over 20 minutes, so what I'm going to do now <laughs> is uh, we've talked about I the TARDIS and we talked about the sonic screwdriver. There's only so m- and we talked about the master. I knew we had to get those, but there's one other thing we have to hit, and there's so many other elements to this show, because the show of course has been on and off the air since 1963, so yes. lots of history there, and plus there are all the books and comic books and audio plays and things of that nature. We could have had probably three podcasts on a TARDIS period. Let's talk yes. about Daleks, though. Okay. Ooh, Daleks are fun. Because Daleks are one of those really recognizable villains that are in the Doctor Who universe. Are y'all going to throw me out of the studio if I tell Dalek jokes? Uh, well, it, it couldn't be any worse than anything that I've ever told ever. Exactly. If, That's sort of if, a hallmark if, of this podcast. If it's all things that end up uh, ending in innate. Yeah. So like, because Daleks are known. The thing they were known for to say, especially in the early series, was exterminate, exterminate. Uh, that was what they would yell as they would uh, close in on the heroes. Close in very slowly because they're these big cone-shaped And not things. upstairs. And not upstairs in the original series right. either. The, uh, a flight of stairs could uh, could foil the most cunning Dalek. Um, Daleks have two different origins, according to Doctor Who's mythology. But really, the one that's been established and has been uh, followed most recently is that they are, uh, or they started out as a race of organic creatures. Yes. Um, they had a war with a neighboring race of, of, uh, of aliens. Um, they were called the, uh, the, the, the race of, that became the Daleks were known as the Khaleds. Because, mm-hmm. of course, another anagram there. Um, the Khaleds, uh, began to mutate as a as a result of some of the nuclear war that was going on as well as they were just undergoing some genetic mutations and a, uh, a, a fellow by the name of Davros decided hey I wonder what these things are going to end up turning into. He also by the way was uh, very much injured in the war between the, his his people, the Khalids and the Thal the, uh, their opponent race mm-hmm. and as a result he had to um, create a chair that kept him alive and would allow him to sense his environment because all of his faculties were pretty much destroyed as a result of uh, the war. I was going to say rubber, but that'll work. Okay, yeah, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to work within the universe here. But the Khaleds are much smaller. They're they're pretty tiny creatures. Right. They, so they have mutated into tiny and tinier creatures, and and they 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 don't have very good survival rates either. So Davros started to build these. Um, 
these suits that would keep them alive, uh, keep the the Khalids alive. Uh, but the suits ended up not just becoming life support, but became soldier suits. And this is what turned into the Daleks. It's like and body then, armor. Yeah, body armor. Yeah. So they look like they're these cone-shaped robots, but really it's a giant mechanical suit for a little bitty organism that's living inside it. And um, as a result, Davros also decided to uh, to fiddle with the genetics of the Khalids and eventually um, messed with them enough so that they did not experience emotions like love or sympathy or anything like that and also came to believe that they were the superior race in the universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, that ended up turning up badly for Davros because eventually they turned to him and said, why the heck are we following you? We're superior and zapped him. Um, But he, uh, like any great villain... He comes back. Of course. It's yes. like, you know, the Joker or any other villain in any other franchise. You can't really kill them off permanently. Right. Well, and the Daleks themselves have been exterminated at a couple of times as right. an entire race, but they've come back. Well, and, and if nothing else, you have the excuse of time travel. Yes. Which means that really they could... They could be in the future, but die in the past. Well, and that's sort of the the premise of the the newer version of Doctor Who is that there was a time lore, a time war, and the Time Lords and the Daleks were both involved, and that the event exterminated both the Time Lords and the Daleks from the entirety of space time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they came back from that. Of course, they did. And the, the Daleks have their suits have some interesting abilities as well. They're made out, by the way, I looked this up, out of Dalekinium. Really? Yes. Which is ten times stronger than steel and a quarter of the weight of aluminium. So we'll have to see. We'll have to take that into the lab with some adamantium and see which one comes out on top. And, and vibratium. Yeah. And unobtainium. Un- unobtainium. Let's just go ahead and throw all the fictional elements out there, shall we? Yes. Um, but they uh, they have an eye stalk, which is their most probably recognizable feature because they have a turret on top of their heads. Oh, I don't know. I think the plunger. The, there's the plunger <laughs> and then another thing that looks a little like an egg whisk. Right. That's the gun stick. Yes. (laughs) I like the plunger that uh, has the powerful suction uh, cup at the end of it, but it's a plunger. Definitely, yeah. You can definitely tell that that when this series was launched, uh, they were creating these these creatures, these monsters, these devices, out of whatever hardware they could get their hands on. Um, And... and the Cybermen are good examples of that. Yes, the Cybermen, another another uh, race that started out organic, and then gradually the race began to um, replace their own parts with synthetic parts, and then determined that by becoming synthetic, they could become perfect, uh, and managed to do get all the way up to the point where the only thing organic left were their brains, and even in their brains, they decided to eliminate emotion because they thought emotion was another sign of weakness, brains. therefore it was not perfection. So, yeah, the Cybermen are another villain that uh, another race of villains that pop up in several Doctor Who stories. Uh, yeah, the it's an interesting series of themes. Actually, a lot of I, I, the biggest theme I sense in the Doctor Who series is the idea of uh, the Doctor values humans for the same qualities that all the villains think of as being weakness. Is that fair to say? Things like love and compassion and curiosity, curiosity, that kind of stuff, where the doctor thinks those are valuable traits and the villains all think those are things that you should eliminate in order to become perfect. Mm -hmm. And even the Time Lords, to some extent, seem to have a little bit of that. The Time Lords don't, they're not warm and fuzzy. No. Mm -mm. No, they're not. They're really not. Uh, But um, 
I, I should point out that at least one of them has a fondness for dogs. Ah, are we about to get to K9? Yes, I wanted to mention K9, if I may. Sure. Uh, K9 was uh, was actually not originally the doctor's dog. He was uh, he belonged to Professor Marius. New Heidelberg University. <laughs> well, unfortunately, he was not uh, able to bring his real dog with him in space. And so uh, the doctor ended up sort of inheriting K9, who was a uh, mechanical dog. Yeah, it was a... Um, a a portable computer was really what what canine was supposed to be, but because Marius uh, had such fondness for his dog that he had to leave behind because of it was weight restrictions actually. Yes, that meant that he couldn't bring his dog with him. He built this computer in the shape of a dog uh, when, once he reached the outpost that he was working on. Yes, and he he, he works with rollers rather than legs, so he, we're not talking like Ibo here. Also, stairs. Problem for problematic. It yeah. uh, turns out stairs in England are. If you ever are being chased by a bad guy, look for some stairs because there's at least a 50 50 chance that you're going to be able to get away. But K9 is <laughs> moving on. K9 <laughs> is equipped with uh, some some sensors, mm-hmm. which you know you can see his ears. They they turn back and forth. They look like little radar dishes. And he did have a, uh, a, a. I don't know that they ever identified what it is. Some kind of ray in his nose that he could use to incapacitate villains from time to time. And he could talk. And he could talk, yes. which was very useful when communicating with the doctor and any of the companions who happen to be traveling with them. Yes, there's been multiple canines as well. Yes, mm-hmm. because they. Ended What's up that? with Sarah Jane Smith. Yep. Yes. One ended up with Leela back on Gallifrey. Mm-hmm. Um, so the doctor essentially would travel with, with a companion and with K9 until uh, till he would uh, essentially leave. The companion would choose to leave, or there'd be some set of circumstances that would force the companion to leave. And sometimes K9 would want to stay with the companion or, or stay on some other planet. And so the doctor would do the, you know, the reasonable thing go and kidnap some other person to be his companion and build another canine. Yeah, not so much. I think in a lot of cases, the uh, canine was intended to be a uh, helper and guardian, especially in the case of Sarah Jane. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and he, yeah. Which helped out with uh, Mr. Smith. Right, yes. It's Uh, a good, there's a whole, one of the reasons that Sarah Jane is one of my favorite companions is that she has a whole show all of her own mm -hmm. in which canine features. But there are rights issues with canine, which is why canine is not everywhere. See, I did not know that. There are. That's why he only made a couple of appearances in the Sarah Jane Adventures, and uh, there's a whole canine show that's not actually affiliated with Doctor Who, and it all has to do with rights. It's another one of those complicated issues where you've got, uh, you know, especially when you have things like a series of novels and comic books and cartoons, as well as television shows and, uh, and television specials, um, not... Not every company; th- these aren't all the work of a single group. Like it's not just one company that's putting out all of this stuff. No. So uh, that does bring into some issues with rights, and uh, and not and cer- certain writers can claim rights to uh, various characters. It, it does get pretty complex, especially when you're talking about a series that's been around on and off since '63. Mm-hmm. Off more than on in some cases, but. Uh, it's back now and, and mm-hmm. very popular. So we're curious to see what happens over the next couple of ge- uh, regenerations. <laughs> yes. Uh, I really want to see how they're going to get out of that. Um, and uh, and it is interesting. I, I think it's a, a interesting idea to get emotionally invested in a show in, that you, in which you know the main character at some point is going to, quote, unquote, die mm-hmm. and come back. But you know when you start watching it like it's not just that the show's going to end it's this character that you've become attached to is not going to be the same in another season or two seasons or three seasons or however long 
That's true. So, uh, yeah. But, but it's the only show I can think of that actually built that in. It's like, eventually this actor is going to want to leave, and this is a really successful show. Yes. Well, there's also, there's the theory that James Bond is a Time Lord. Yeah. For that reason. <laughs> because all these different actors who all have British accents have all played James Bond. Mm-hmm. And, but... Is it the same James Bond? Right. Different James I have Bond? a similar theory about Santa Claus. I think he's think a Time Lord. San- well, I, we already know that I think Wesley Crusher is a Time Lord. Oh, that's true. Wesley Crusher is also a Time Lord. Yeah, it turns out there's a lot of them. So anyway, if you guys have any uh, any questions, suggestions, or if you have another specific universe you want us to explore, we've got a lot of email about exploring the tech of things from Back to the Future to a lot for Star Trek. Uh, but if you or the Matrix, if you have a request, a specific request, send it in, and we'll try and do some more of these because this was a lot of fun. It's nice to change it up and uh, and get some other people in here. And uh, let us know. You can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I, maybe even Tracy, will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.